Okay, we want to welcome those who are joining us online. And we are back in our study of Romans. We'll be uh, doing, starting Romans 13 today. Um, and remember, once we got to Romans 12, we saw there was sort of a shift in focus. Before then, the books, the focus of the book was what? It was on what? Our personal walk with the Lord. And now, starting chapter 12, it's how do we live out that walk? Especially in relation to other people. And so in Romans 12, it starts off about how we need to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And then it talks about how we've been giving gifts to help build up the rest of the body of Christ. And then there's a series of exhortations that are really pretty radical, like, uh, love, but without hypocrisy. You know, it talks about true hospitality. It talks about rejoicing in hope and giving preference to one another. And then it really gets radical because it talks about how we are called in this world to bless our enemies, to pray for them, to never pay back evil for evil, never take revenge. And now we are in Romans 13. And today we're going to look at the first seven verses. And it's going to talk about how we are to view and respect government. This, by the way, was a radical idea back then. And it's still a radical idea. Let's see what the scriptures have to say. Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they, have, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Uh, and we don't like that verse, but it's in the scriptures. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay, so we want to look today at our relationship as believers to government. And it's especially pertinent today in light of the fact that this is an election year, in case nobody kind of heard that yet. Many believe that this year could be one of the craziest and one of the most volatile years ever in our country's history. We don't know. But it certainly could be a distraction for Christians. So I think what we're talking about today is very important. Okay, so I want us to kind of look at some other passages to kind of get the complete picture. Then we'll go back to Romans 13. And let's start 
with Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whom also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, as believers in Christ, we have to realize that our citizenship doesn't really belong here. That's a radical idea. It's part of, we, we're part of the kingdom of God in heaven. Now, sure, we all kind of come from different places. You know, the United States or Mexico or, you know, or Costa Rica or China or, you know, Venezuela or uh, Nicaragua. I have to mention Nicaragua. And, you know, it's okay to be, you know, to be attached to our culture in some sense. But our citizenship Really, the citizenship that really counts is above. Let's take a look at John 18. And Jesus is before Pilate, right before his crucifixion. And Pilate's trying to trip Jesus up and try to find something that he can accuse him with. And he doesn't really have a, he's not very successful. But in one place in verse 36, Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Okay, you got that? The kingdom which we belong to is not of this world. It's not of this realm, you know, and therefore we're not fighting for it. You know, it's just servants like we would be if we were. Staunch citizens here, you know. First Peter 2. I'm kind of jumping around here. Okay, First Peter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we're, we're told that we are a separate nation, a holy nation, you know, of God's people. And we're called to what? We're called to be a light in the midst of a dark world. Okay? So, and there are many other places too. See, the kingdom of God, to which we are a part of, if we've truly been born again, that ought to be our investment. Where we invest our time, our emotions, our energy, our money, our relationships, everything. All other kingdoms and governments and institutions and political ideologies will topple. They'll be gone. They are temporary. They are flawed and even corrupted. And nowhere in the scriptures does it say that they'll ever be redeemed. On the other hand, the kingdom of God is eternal. It will be forever. It's pure. It's holy. It's full of justice and righteousness. Agape love is its, is its banner. And it only makes sense that that's where we make our big investment in our life, in this lifetime. Jesus, um, I think it's in the 
Well, well actually, you'll be getting to it in the uh, house churches real soon if you haven't gotten to it. But in Matthew 13, it talks about, I don't have a slide for this, but it talks about the pearl of great value. And what does a person who wants that pearl do? He sells everything in order to have that one pearl of great value. And that is what God is calling us to. Luke 16, verse 8. And uh, this is, um, I've, I've kind of, well, let, let me just kind of read it here real quick first. It says, and his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age were more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. You know, Jesus mentions this several times about, he compares the sons of this age, or you could say the sons and daughters, you know, are the sons of light. Which are we? We're not the sons of this age. This age we're passing through, but it's only temporary, right? We are committed. We are invested as sons of light. And what are we doing? We're here to be beacons to this dark world. Going back to First Peter 2. And we're going to stop jumping around here in a few minutes. But I just want us to kind of get some background here. First Peter 2. 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. The word strangers could also be translated as immigrants. To abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing that they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I know there's a lot of people here in our church that are immigrants, foreigners, um, you know, aliens and strangers. But God tells us we all are aliens and strangers on this earth. Another place it talks about how we are pilgrims. We're just passing through this age. And we don't have our roots established here because our investment, our heart, Belongs to the kingdom of God. And of course that's something that's kind of repeated in many other places too. Let, let, let's do kind of look at Hebrews 11. And then we're going to jump back to. Uh, you know Romans 7. Hebrews 11 starting with verse, verse 13. It's talking about the many men and women of faith over the centuries. And it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Oh, by the way, there it is again. Strangers and exiles. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they've been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That is what God's doing. He's preparing a city, a place, a country for us. So practically, what does this mean? And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I gave, kind of gave personal testimony of just my journey as far as giving. I want to kind of give you another part of my journey. I've always had 
an interest in politics. Actually, before I could read, my mom said I could do two things. I could read a map, and I was also interested in politics. I remember driving to my grandparents' house and counting. This is before I could read. And there'd be bumper stickers of, you know, who they were for governor in this case. You know, they wanted this person for governor. This, and they usually had different colors and, you know, names. Even though I couldn't read, I could recognize the thing. And I would, the whole trip, I never would sleep. I would just take a tally. Another one for this person. Oh, here's another one for, oh, another one over here. And by the end, I'd have like 70, 80 for each one, you know, depending on who, who was one. And uh, every election... My first election I remember was in 1960. I know it was a long time ago. Nixon versus Kennedy. I was six years old. I tell you how old I am, you know. And, uh, and I remember staying up, kind of, I understood the electoral college from the very beginning. And every election since then. Then in school and in university, uh, I especially love studying, you know, changes of governments and, uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, debating and uh, revolutions, you know, the good ones and the bad ones. And, uh, and there's something inside of me. I thought, yeah, you know, all this is kind of helping to make us a better world. But as my commitment to Christ grew, I began to see the shallowness, then the futility and then the corruption of everything that I was kind of, my idealism, my idealism gradually was shattered. I also began to see from a biblical point of view that all governments, institutions, political ideologies, they're all going to fall apart. And only the kingdom of God will endure. Eventually, I decided I was going to disassociate myself from all political parties. My sole allegiance needs to be to the kingdom of God. We've got to keep ourselves focused on the kingdom. We're not allowed, we can't allow ourselves to get distracted by the emotions and the conversations and the time required to, I mean, they distract us and they also divide us. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote. We should vote. We must pray. But remember, our society the world system, the media, and I'm talking about all sides of it, all of it, they desire to pull us into the hate, suspicion, and divisions. Why? Because I think part of it is Satan's plan to help divide us as God's people and to keep us from being effective in reaching other people. Because if we saw it over here in a very staunch way, we... We eliminate our ability to share with that side. And if we're over here, we eliminate our ability to share with that side. And uh, also, we have to face it. This is a big moneymaker. People make loads of money propagating fear, anxiety, and hate. But brothers and sisters, we are aliens and strangers. We're looking for another country. Our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, let's look at Romans 13 now. And let's read verses 1 through 5 again. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for you to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For if for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Because it is therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. Okay, so one of the things really clear. God says we are to be subject to the governing authorities, right? And in fact, actually, the way Romans 13 paints it, government is a good thing. You know, it's established by God, it says. And he allows leaders and workers to rule in such a way that fits into his bigger plan. And brothers and sisters, we don't always we can't always see how he's working. Let me give you a couple examples. You know, uh, even in horrible situations, God will work, you know, bringing about his purposes. Like Israel, in the Old Testament, God allowed invading armies to come in to take over. He allowed his people to be taken into exile. He used all that for his good. China is a good example. Uh, during the most repressive communist Years And by the way, Mao Zedong and the communist government, especially from about 1950 to about 1980, one of the most repressive governments ever. Uh, I went to high school in Taiwan, which was free China. Uh, and so I heard a lot about this growing up. And I also um, um, knew a lot of missionaries who had been missionaries in China got kicked out. And one of the big questions, especially like in the 70s, are there any Christians left in mainland China? Because when the communists took over, there were about a million. And there were debates among missionaries. I don't see how there's any way there could be any Christians left. No, God's faithful. We as missionaries, we toiled, we worked hard. God has to have a remnant there. Well, in the 80s, about 30 years later, all of a sudden we got a glimpse into China as it began. To, and not only did the amount of Christians not decrease, but it actually increased. It went from 1 million to 50 million in 30 years. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, that's, I mean, rarely do we see church growth like that. And it was during the most repulsive or repressive time, one of the most repressive governments ever. Another example, Iran today is an Islamic state that forces its people to uh, live according to the Quran. And did you know that really for the last five, six, seven years, the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world? Now, I'm not advocating we kind of get some horrible government to kind of where we grow faster. But God will use that. I'm just giving two examples there. I guess what I'm trying to say is that 
God sees things that we don't see. And he has, he has ways to work that we don't see. Um, so anyway, um, um, therefore it says in Romans 13, it says, we are not to resist government authority. Because by doing so, it says in verse 2, we oppose the ordinance of God. And we bring condemnation on ourselves. Let's take a look at the Roman government. Um, some of you know I was kind of a history major in university. And one of, the, one of the areas that I studied was the history of Rome, the Roman Empire. It lasted for about a thousand years. Really no other empire on earth has lasted that long with controlling so much of the world's population. So it's a fascinating study. And, uh, but the book of Romans was written during the time of the Romans, okay? About halfway through, okay? Was the Roman Empire godly? No, it wasn't. Was it a democracy or a republic? No, it wasn't. Were there some bad leaders? There were some horrible leaders. Now, there were some good rulers also. Not necessarily God-fearing, but there were some good rulers for example, this is an example how God used the Roman Empire. Because of their armies, the Romans built roads all over the place where the Romans, where the Roman soldiers and armies could go from this place to this place fast. Well, you know what? The first missionaries, the apostles, used those same roads to kind of go preach the gospel. And they were able to preach it really fast. So God used that, right? But you know, we have to, I mean, you read about some of these, some of these leaders, they were just like sick. I mean, like demon possessed. I mean, I really feel that, you know, uh, but Rome as a whole, it's history. They kill people. They enslaved people. They allow gross immorality. And I think you could easily make an argument worse than what we see today anywhere in the world. They had oppressive and unreasonable taxes especially if you weren't a Roman citizen, you know, uh, if you're a conquered people and if you resisted, they even kind of did even more taxes. But in spite of all this, note the instructions given to the believers living in the Roman Empire. Let's read verse six and seven again. For because of this, you pay taxes for rulers are servants of God. Now, this is kind of interesting because a little bit before in verse 4, he says they are ministers of God. Now he calls them servants of God. He's talking about the Roman government, you know. And he says, uh, you know, because of this, you pay taxes for rulers and servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom uh, Honor. So paying taxes, paying customs, giving respect and honor, that was something they were supposed to do. Matthew 17. Jesus, well, let me just kind of read it, verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drama, drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? 
From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we may not offend them, go to the sea, throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes out. And when you open your mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Well, a couple things here. One, I think Jesus says, you know, yeah, we can make an argument that taxes don't do us any good, especially if we're aliens and strangers in this age. But the fact and we don't want to offend them, we pay. But it also says God's going to provide. Now, I've never gone fishing and pulled out a fish where I pay for all my taxes, I have to admit. But you know what? God's going to have, he's going to provide a way for you to be able to pay what is necessary. You know, first Peter two. We've kind of been there a couple of times already, but let's go back. First Peter two. Verse 13. Kind of good little summary here. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as in the one of authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. Hmm. The will of God. Okay. Being subject to him. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. But use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Kind of says it all, doesn't it? So our response, we don't resist government. We pay taxes. Mm, I know. It's coming up here soon, isn't it? We honor those in authority. But we don't worship, exalt, or magnify leaders, right? Remember, Nebuchadnezzar tried that. You know, he said, I'm a leader. And, you know, Daniel even kind of said I was kind of put here by God. So why don't you kind of worship me? That didn't go over well at all, did it? Okay, and likewise for us, we pray for those who are in authority. And I think there's a nut and we uh, what, what, what's the next one? Okay, and remember that our citizenship is in heaven. All of a sudden I couldn't find it here, you know. Um, now, we. Because we live in a country that we are allowed to vote, they didn't do that in Roman times, we can do so. And we can and we should participate in ways that can build up our communities and make the country that we're living in as ambassadors even a better place. In this country, we're allowed to register complaints, you know, but we do so in a God honoring way. We don't make enemies because of our involvement in the world, in a world that's going to topple anyway. In fact, if they try to make enemies of us, What do we do? We bless, we love, we pray. The things we already talked about in the chapter before in Romans 12. We also, we don't do what some Christians are doing. And I don't want to kind of judge their relationship with the Lord. But being ugly and rude toward others. Advocating violence. Promoting fear. Listen, we're not fear We're not fearful of the Democrats ruling. We're not fearful of the Republicans ruling. We're not fearful. 
You know, I'm not fearful of any of that because I know that God works in different ways. It's kind of fun to watch, but it's not fun if I get kind of emotionally tied into it. Right. Just remember that we're not the sons of this age. We're what? Sons of what does it say? The sons of light. Okay, what about civil disobedience? You know, that's a term meaning that there's places where we must disobey our government. Does the scriptures kind of say anything about that? Yes, there is a place for civil disobedience. You know, when? When we're asked to do something directly contradicting God's word. Let me give you two examples. First one is in Acts. This is the New Testament. Acts 4, verse 18. It says, um, And when they had summoned them, this is the disciples of Jesus, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than in God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard heard. I like that. When they were told, don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus, they said what? No, we have to, you know, and we have to disobey in that case. Old Testament example, Daniel, we won't kind of read the, but remember when he was asked not to pray, even in his own house or what was going to happen, anyone who disobeyed that was going to be what? Thrown to the lions, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, what did he do? He disobeyed. So there is a place for disobedience. But it's not because we don't like the policies of the government. Rome certainly did not have good policies. And the truth is, as long as we live in this age, unredeemed men and women who are running governments... They will never have totally good policies. So in conclusion, we're called to a higher kingdom, right? An eternal kingdom. That's where our investment must be. That's where our treasure in heaven is. And we must not allow ourselves to get caught up in the whirlwinds of this world. Let us determine now, today, that we won't get swept up with all the carnality of this world. Now, let me say one other thing. I know that there's people here in this room who have actually left countries because of oppression. I think about Nicaragua. I think about Venezuela. You know, I think there's probably others, you know, other places too. Is that okay? Yes, it is. Actually, Jesus and his family, they left because of the political situation. They left the land of Israel. And where did they go? To Egypt for a season. And they were kind of literally running for their lives. There, so there is a place that that is the best answer. You know. Listen, we live in kind of a crazy world. And it's hard to maneuver living a life of Christ-likeness in this world. And, but we've got to make the scriptures our foundation. This is what we live by. Even if they seem radical. Even if some people tell us, oh, that doesn't really work. If everyone did that, what would happen? 
I mean, they got a lot of good reasons. But we are not the sons of this age. We are the sons of light, right? And because of that, we're going to be lights in the midst of darkness. And people, they may get, they may get angry. They may hate one another. They can be, this whole world is a history of people just over disagreements on how to kind of run things. People have wars. They have civil wars. They have revolutions. They've got a lot of things. But we, the kingdom of God, we are called to something much greater, much more eternal. And remember, love is the banner of our kingdom. In fact, next week, we start going into how really love is the way we are a light in the darkness. That's the rest of Romans 13. And actually, I know I've probably said this before, but the more I kind of look at it, it's becoming one of my favorite parts of the book of Romans. So next week, we want to do that. Okay? So today we've talked about something that's kind of radical, about kind of make us uncomfortable, but this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you have caused us to be born into your kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that's going to last forever and ever and ever. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even though we are here in this world of darkness, we're here as aliens, as strangers, as pilgrims. Lord, that you have called us to be light in this darkness. Lord, it's hard sometimes. It's difficult. Because, Lord, we want to stand for righteousness, but yet, Lord, we're called to be light. Lord, we ask that for every one of us and for us as a local church and for us, the church around the world, that you would teach us how to be a light in this world of darkness. Especially as things seem to be kind of wrapping up in this world and things are getting worse and worse and hate and evil are just increasing more and more. Lord, help us to live in this world in the way that you want us to. Thank you, Lord. Amen.